Hello, listeners from coast to coast, the Gulf to Mexico, and around the globe. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio. You know, if my voice sounds just a bit hoarse, I've been talking to thousands of great folks all around the country, all around Idaho. Boise, thank you. Thank you, thank you. And Blackfoot, currently, thank you, thank you. And soon to come, Iowa, headed up there in the next few days. Going to be up there at the Clay County event. And I can't wait to see all you folks up in Iowa that turn the pages of the Threads West series. Been a great book tour. This is kind of the final few little drum beats of it. And we are looking forward to it. The reception has been terrific. And the amount of people that I've talked to that are disgusted or more with what's currently going on in our great country is overwhelming. In fact, I'm not sure, other than (laughs) stopping by the Democratic booth there in Boise at that event and talking to those folks, which was just, why don't we just say it was an eye-opener? You know, 2 plus 2 is 5, and up is down, and A does not connect to B. But that's yet another story that I'm going to bring you when this tour is over, probably next week, because when you talk to folks who believe what the hierarchy of the Democratic Marxist Party believes, you can see why this country is floundering. It's unbelievable, and it is frightening. But we have a big show today, and we're going to have another huge rat-a-tat-tat. You know, this burst of news on every front, in every direction, from every angle, just continues unabated. And we're going to talk today about two little historical stories. And actually, they're big historical stories, but I'm going to condense them. First, the Industrial Revolutions. And I'm going to bring you up to speed with the rest of the story, what the current so-called fourth industrial revolution is and what it means to the elites who, why don't we say, gravitate toward your enslavement and their globalization. And tied in with that, because it's all tied in, folks, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the history of what's called jubilees. No, it, it's, it's not a fair, it's not fun, and it is not one of those big smile events that have occurred throughout history and that is occurring or beginning to occur with student debt right here in the United States. So I'll tell you what, without further ado, let's get started. Number one, we have our founder's quote, of course. And then I got a little ranch story from the road, which I think you'll find rather both interesting and amusing. And I think in the wake of the dark, divisive, and vitriolic speech, I'll call it a speech, it was really a a diatribe, a rant from an American who, who thinks one way, and I, I'm loath to call Joe Biden, President Cadaver, an American at this point, and Americans who don't think as he and his ilk think. And there's much more to what Joe Biden said, what he shouted, what he ranted, and the setting that they gave his spew, shall we say, with the Marines flanking things in the background and that kind of weird, dark red light, than just his words. And nothing that the left does is by accident. We're going to talk a little bit about that in the rat-a-tat-tat. But this quote is from Thomas Paine, the mentor of the founders, and it seems very apropos. If I do not believe as you believe, it proves that you do not believe as I believe, and that is all that it proves. And now our ranch story from, <laughs> from your traveling rancher author, far away from the place that he loves. So as you know from last week's ranch story, We didn't get quite the hay we thought on the second cutting of the pivot field. On the other hand, we got more than we thought 
on the first cutting of the several grass fields we had left, till the end, kind of, shall we say, soray with the swather and the baler. And while you may not know this, one of the things you try and do, if you have the water to do it, is to get more water on the fields as you go into fall. Get a little regrowth, as it's called, coming. And that's for fall and winter pasture, for horses and cows and other critters. And what usually happens in our neck of the woods is that the fields who are getting, in, th in this dry year, the little dabs of water that still remain, stay green. And they grow just a tiny bit. And you know who is attracted to them? The elk. They love green fields, particularly when the hills they are living in and migrating to from higher up in the mountains, getting ready for winter. It's like candy. It's elk candy. And every night they troop down several miles from the mountains that surround the valley, and they munch away in those greening late fall fields. And along their way, elk being what they are, they just tear the hell out of fences. I mean, it's almost in some cases like the fence doesn't exist. Wires get popped off of posts. Posts get laid down. Gates just get sprung. And when I say sprung, I mean blown apart. So on one hand, it's great to hear those bugles. And it's kind of a tickle to know that you're doing your part to conserve and assist wildlife. On the other hand, it's always a pile of work. Elk and fences don't mix. And the moral of the story is... No matter what kind of fence you build, if the critter that wants to get to the other side, and that could be Democratic Marxist critters in this day and age, if the critter that wants to get to the other side wants to get there, they're going to tear that fence down. And that, folks, is exactly what's happening with the pillars of America, the Constitution, faith, and family. The fences we have erected to protect our values, to educate our children, to promote this form of representative republic type government. They're getting torn down. And I would hope that over the last few weeks, these big rat-a-tat-tats I've brought you, and the historical stories like last week, the history of the Democratic Party since its founding in 1829, if you didn't listen to it, please do, on the rightsideradio.com, the archives. This is a worrisome thing. And you know, it's up to us. We are the keepers of the fences. We are the Americans who man the walls. And we have an election coming up, less than 60 days now. If you have not gotten involved, please do. If you have not contributed to the candidates of your choice, please do. I'm going to be bringing you over the next several weeks just little spots and pieces of people I think are more than worthy and need your assistance to win their elections around the country. And in their elections hangs the balance of power, at least in the legislative branch. And I might add the judicial branch since the Senate has the power to accept or reject federal judges. It's time to get off the couch, folks. If you haven't, you need to. If you have, you need to stand taller. This is it. We're in the final countdown. And if we don't take at least the House, and hopefully the Senate, where treaties are ratified and federal judges are approved, well, the next two years under cadaver, and the people behind them, the people really pulling the strings, are going to be far worse than the last two years that we've endured. Now let's talk about the Industrial Revolutions, quite interesting, you know, the Fourth Industrial Revolution, which is really going to be the rest of the story in this little historical piece. The First Industrial Revolution was from about 1760 all to 1820, 1840 or so, and it kind of swirled across and encompassed Europe and the United States. Its main effects were consequences 
in the textile manufacturing industries, which was the first to adopt the first industrial revolution changes, you know, the automation, and the iron industry, and agriculture, and mining. And it had huge societal effects. These new technologies, the assembly line, so to speak, it built the middle class. I mean, this is really where the middle class emerged. And if you want to boil it down to its essence, the first industrial revolution was the transition from hand production methods to machines through the use of steam power and water power. And that brings us to the second industrial revolution. The second industrial revolution, which was also known as the technological revolution, runs roughly between 1871 and 1914. And it involved massive installations in Europe and America of extensive railroad and telegraph networks which of course allowed for a faster transfer of people, the faster transfer of ideas, and electricity. And increasing electrification allowed factories to develop the really modern production lines. It was a period of huge economic growth, an increase in productivity, in fact, tremendous increase in productivity. It also caused a surge in unemployment, since many factory workers from the first Industrial Revolution were replaced by what we now consider to be the first crude machines. And that brings us to the third industrial revolution. The third industrial revolution, also known as the digital revolution, occurred late in the 20th century, kind of 1985-ish, you know, from the inter the invention of the internet, you know, which Al Gore did, of course. <laughs> you know, right, okay. From the invention of the internet and all the things that we now take for granted, you know, email and texts and all that nonsense. And it was spurred by the end of the two world wars, kind of acting in concert and evolving over time. It was also a reaction to a slowdown in the industrialization and the technological advancement of the second, and to a lesser extent, the first industrial revolutions. And in this third industrial revolution, we saw the production of the Z1 computer, which was a first machine to use binary floating point numbers, and what's called Boolean, B-O-O-L-E-A-N, logic. And a decade later, you know, oh, give or take, 1997 through 2002, was the beginning of more advanced digital developments. And it was the significant development as part of this third industrial revolution of huge advances in the speed and the reach of communication technologies. And of course, the advent of the supercomputer and the extensive use of computers and communication technologies that were rapidly evolving in the production process, the industrial process. And this is where machinery and computers and logic other than pure human logic began to replace the need for human power and human think, I'll call it. And that brings us to now, the fourth industrial revolution. And I'm going to kind of save this little tidbit on the fourth industrial revolution as the rest of the story. But I am going to tell you a little bit about what the fourth industrial revolution entails and what our friends, the elitists and the globalists, hope it will eventually entail. So the fourth industrial revolution is the rapid trend towards automation and data exchange in manufacturing and the processes, which include cyber physical systems or CPS, Okay, it's kind of the industrial internet of things. Have you heard that phrase? Cloud computing, cognitive computing, in other words, artificial intelligence. The fourth industrial revolution marks the beginning of what they call the 
imagination age. <laughs> you know, some of the things which we're beginning to imagine are not so, um, well, why don't we say that my appetite is not huge for them, and I don't believe yours is either, but nonetheless, with what we see evolving, the unthinkable is now at least imaginable. The fourth industrial revolution basically is focused on the increase in operational efficiency. And there's four basic themes in this so-called revolution. Interconnection, the ability of machines, devices, sensors, and people to connect, this is an important thought, and communicate with each other via the Internet of Things or the Internet of People. And the fourth element of the Industrial Revolution is decentralized decisions. The ability of cyber and physical systems, which by the way, really important, includes human beings interconnecting with machines. Ah, you know, we can go down that rabbit hole, can't we? You know, with the jabs and their ingredients and all sorts of things, 5G. But supposedly the ability of this interconnection between the living and the non-living to help the living, the humans, make decisions on their own, quote-unquote, their own, and to perform their tasks as autonomously as possible. I'm going to move over to the history of Jubilees, because this is all tied in, and it's particularly tied in in the rest of the story. So Jubilees are really huge society-wide events of debt relief, of debt absolution, of the extinguishment of debt. The, the concept of jubilee, yeah, it's, it's not your local county fair and cotton candy, comes from the Bible, believe it or not, the Old Testament, the book of Leviticus, chapter 25, for those of you who'd like to look it up. A jubilee in the ancient Jewish tradition occurred about every 50 years, give or take. It was a time for total forgiveness of all debts and the freeing of slaves. Pope Boniface VIII proclaimed the first Christian jubilee in the year 1300. And it's interesting to note that rulers throughout history have used jubilees, the extinguishment of debt for the lower classes, to reset financial systems. By the way, particularly when the poorest of their citizens, who become more and more as these other advancements are made, in numbers and in strength and in vocal ability to shout, scream, and do such things like, you know, guillotines, etc., particularly when those citizens are threatening revolt. In the 1930s, FDR, Franklin Roosevelt, he forced Americans, I've told you about this in other historical stories recently, forced Americans to turn in every ounce of gold they owned for $20.67 in paper money. And then he raised the price of gold after everybody who was going to comply did. And he wiped out nearly 70% of the savings of everyone who had followed the rules. And of course, this eliminated federal debt. Literally, that 70%, that, that increase to the price of $35 of gold as the benchmark of the United States currency from the $20.67 note that he had given those unfortunate souls who turned in their gold, that extinguished federal debt, right? It was like a gift to the federal government. It was a federal jubilee. And the conditions mirror those in the 1960s today. If you think back to the 1960s, there was a period of anger, resentment, financial crisis, and the United States government was, for the very first time, other than way back in the 1800s, having a really hard time paying back its creditors. That was after, of course, two world wars and the Cold War. At that time, dollars were still required to be backed by gold, still at the $35 per ounce level that had been set by FDR. But Fort Knox was literally running out of gold 
as foreign holders of U.S. dollars came in and demanded gold instead of paper. Gee, who could blame them? And then in 1972, and I've told you about this before too, inflation at 6%, unemployment rising, a more and more unsettled thought, shall we say, in the lower and lower middle classes. Richard Nixon wanted to avoid more crisis and, of course, keep his power. And he defaulted. He made sure that America defaulted on our promise to pay gold for dollars to all our foreign creditors. August 15, 1971 is thought by many economists and historians to be, and I quote, the day the dollar died, unquote, because this ushered in the, the fiat currency era, which I've talked to you about before. Basically, dollars that are backed by nothing, zero. And not long after that, a period of really high inflation blew up. Think about the 1970s and early 1980s. And inflation became entrenched. You know, even when Volcker got inflation tamped down with 20% interest rates, and I've brought you those historical stories, there's a method to my madness here. Inflation has continued virtually without stop. It might have just been, at least according to government figures, 2 or 3% a year, but that makes big changes in the value of currency and in lifestyles and in your ability to comfortably subsist over time. Now let this hayseed from Wyoming tell you the rest of the story and tie in this beginnings of a debt jubilee here in the Western world in the United States with student loan forgiveness and other things they have cooked up and the 4.0, the fourth industrial revolution. You know, our buddy Klaus Schwab over there at the World Economic Forum. You will own nothing and you will be happy because they mean it, folks. They mean it. So the fourth industrial revolution is kind of the advent of the smart factory, which is the advent of the smart city and the smart car. Think EV cars with all their little sensors where they can track you, where they can shut down the cars anytime they want. Flick a switch and there you are stranded on the highway. Oh, that sounds great. And think about cyber and physical systems, humans and machines that communicate and cooperate with each other in a time that's both internal and across all sorts of organizational and control services and edicts. You know, think mandates, think vaccine passports, think all these things that you see and that you feel and that you know are coming or here. Think about sensors and facial recognition and voice recognition. Sensors, which are in everything you touch now and every place you go, are meant to track you and control you and identify your habits and take advantage of them to create what the fourth industrial revolution calls the value platform. Ah, gee, how do you like being a piece of meat? Money meat, folks. Think about your smart watch, those of you who have them. I never will have one. The integration of smart sensors in those little electronic devices, they receive data from your movement. They process the data. And as a result, they provide the user and whoever is monitoring the user with information. All sorts of information, even down to how many steps you've walked in a day and how many calories you've burned and what your other activities are. Think about the degree of control that the fourth industrial revolution, if it's realized in the context that those who know the all-powerful wish it to be realized, coupled with the control of financial type things. You know, it's kind of tough to exist if you don't have some money 
right? You got to buy food. You got to buy fuel. You got to buy this, that, and the other. And those are needs, not wants. I mean, we're not talking about going out and buying a piece of art here. We're talking about buying something that basically is the foundation of your subsistence and, and the subsistence of your family. Now think debt jubilee. Think about what they've done with this student loan nonsense, okay? Basically, he's forgiving he, you know, the powers behind the cadaver. They're forgiving $10,000 in federal student loan debt for tens of millions of borrowers. Americans that earn under $125,000 per year or $250,000 for married couples or heads of households, they all get their little finger in the debt jubilee pie. And if you have a Pell Grant, federal student aid, that's 27 million people in the United States, folks, up to $20,000 will just be whoop, wiped, erased, poof, gone from your loan balance. And that group, by the way, makes up 60% of the borrower population of student debt. And of course, all this money has to come from somewhere. It either has to be printed, which of course pours gas on the gasoline fire, the conflagration that we're facing in inflation, or it results in higher taxes. I mean, you folks out there who are listening to me who are kind of uneasy about, but in a way delighted about getting ten dollars or $20,000 off your student debt, I want you to think about something. There is nothing that is free. They will get this money back from you. They will get it back from you in higher taxes and higher fees and other costs are going to charge you. Your debt, oh yes, on paper, it's gone. But your debt, folks, is just starting. Okay, There is no free lunch here. And to the extent they print money, you will pay it in inflation. You have been relieved of nothing. You have been given a, a, a temporary reprieve and the drums beat by a compliant and complicit and corrupt corporate media that somehow you're being given something by this administration, and please vote for us. You know, there's, there, is no, there is no coincidence that this is 60 days before the midterms, okay? In fact, there are no coincidences in any of this stuff. None. Zero. So guess who's paying, besides what they're going to extract from you folks who think you had debt relieved, guess who's paying for the other trillion or whatever dollars that's just going poof into the jubilee sky. Everybody else. That's right. There is no free lunch. And that further corrupts the economy. And that further accentuates what's really going on in this quote-unquote fourth industrial revolution. And with the tiers of castes, the economic levels of various Americans and other middle classes around the world, the middle class in Europe is just getting hammered, hammered with high energy prices. If you think things are bad here, you ought to see what's going on over there with 300% increases in natural gas and folks literally are having to sign lists for coal supplies. This is what they have planned for the United States too. We just are so abundant in resources. There's enough of us that still have American DNA that they can't quite do it. Oh, and there's enough of us that are still armed that it's kind of dangerous for them to do. Not so in Europe and the rest of the Western world and for that matter over there in China and Asia. China is far advanced in their social control models, which are a hallmark of the fourth industrial revolution. But they're trying desperately to get them in place here. Basically, we're now living in a world of two different Americas, and it's the same really around the globe. Consumer debt is the highest it's ever been. The number of credit cards, 500 million, is the highest it's ever been. Credit card debt, 1.2 trillion and rising rapidly, is the highest it's ever been. And I can go on and on down the list. 
There is no shortage of debt out there. And the more you get into debt, particularly that quote-unquote lower 60% of folks, and particularly the lower 80 or 85% of folks, because it, this insidious advance of financial undermining advances to the top, other than the 1%, of course, who are controlling the strings of it. But the more you get into this, the more desperate you become, the less your dollars, because of inflation, buy, the more dollars you need for subsistence, you know, the needs of life, not the wants of life. And the more you scramble to try and put together this subsistence and these dollars, the more you are tracked, the more information all these sensors and all these interrelated computers and artificial intelligence, which is advancing rapidly, the more they know about you. And the more they know about you, and the more they have control of your dollars, the more they can control you, the more they can issue mandates, whatever the mandates are. You know, we're going to talk in the rat-a-tat-tat about some mandates in California that were just announced. Ludicrous, but true. You're all aware of the mandates for the vaccine that's not a vaccine. You know, the science that's now coming out. The CDC admitting it's been wrong. It's reorganizing. You know, so it never happens again. And the new vaccine, the bivalent vaccine, which supposedly is just the just the ticket for this nasty COVID stuff that 99.96% of people who contracted survive with. This is all tied in, folks. This is all interrelated. And what you see happening on this debt jubilee with student loans, they're going to try and extend to other types of debt. And of course, they're getting your mind right. I mean, those of you who paid off your student loans, just to take that one example, how are you feeling right now when the folks who didn't pay them off are getting these 20,000 whatever gifts? And now, let's get into rat-a-tat-tat. Here we go. Let's start off with President Cadaver, who used the pretext of his official presidential address to deliver what has been termed an angry and rancid speech, basically indicting 73 million, and, and that's probably 10 million low, people who voted for Donald Trump as the enemies of American democracy, as the enemies of the American Constitution. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And with two Marines stationed on either side of them in an obvious attempt to politicize the military and to send a message, he, for the third time in about four or five months, warned Americans that he was going to disarm them and that resistance was futile. I'm he didn't say this in his speech. This is what his speech meant. Because to fight the United States government, you need an F-15. Well, if you don't think this is tied in with the mandates which were meant to extricate for the military, self-thinking, American, constitution-loving soldiers, you're wrong. And if you don't think that the current woes in recruitment, which we're going to talk about here in Rat-a-tat-tat in just a minute or two, are intentional, you're wrong. If you think that this isn't tied into the 87,000 Internal Revenue Service agents using your billions of tax dollars and who's, the advertising for which uh, advertisers willing to use deadly force and proficient firearms is tied in to all of this. You're wrong. It's all tied in. And what Joe Biden was really doing in this angry, rancid, dark red background, two Marines standing there speech was saying, you better not screw with the government because we have all the power, folks. And if you don't think like we tell you to think, and you don't think like we want you to think, we're going to rub you out. No less than the hundred plus million. I brought you this story several times, including last week. Listen to last week's show on the Right Side Radio. The hundred million plus people that we know of that were rubbed out 
because their minds weren't right by communist regimes throughout the last hundred years. China, Vietnam, Cambodia, Russia, etc., etc. And by the way, you MAGA Republicans, oh, you folks who, th who think make America great again is a good thing, you're at the top of the hip parade. And speaking of recruitment woes in the armed services, one of the biggest problems right now, besides the fact nobody's uh, saying yes to recruitment, is that there's a smaller and smaller pool of eligible recruits, not just mentally, people who want to serve in this military or want to serve in this military under cadaver and crew. You know, Secretary of Dents, Austin. Ah, what a boob. But it, it seems that those who do want to be recruited, only 12% fit the military's criteria of physical readiness. Everybody else is obese. Drill instructors are telling their superiors that more than 85% of the people that show up at boot camp can't perform the basic, the basic military physical requirements on the very first day of boot training, which, by the way, is just two minutes of sit-ups, run a mile, and a minute of push-ups. They can't perform it. And, of course, this obesity comes from the food they eat. And it comes from two years of sitting on their butts in these illegal, improper, but intentional COVID lockdowns. And a host of other reasons. Big problems in recruitment. And that ties into the international picture. But we'll talk about that next week. Let's talk about the border. Because the border ties into all this, too. According to a memo by Biden's very own Department of Homeland Security, you know, Mayorkas, there's 28,500 people who have fraudulently obtained Mexican passports and come into this country and have been targeted for, quote, further evaluation for terrorist ties. Oh, that's terrific. And they found 343 people whose names were actually on the National Terror Watch List who have come into the country and they don't know where they are. Hmm, what, that's unbelievable, right? And Mayorkas, who has engineered, overseen, and lied out his butt about what's going on on the border, he said last year, in a rare moment of truth that he didn't intend to do anything about, that the United States, quote, risks losing its first line of defense because of the unsustainable amount of illegal immigration, unquote. I mean, the sheer audacity of these people is just unbelievable. And of course, all these people coming in, folks, Think about that in the context of the historical stories and the rest of the story I just brought you. More and more people competing for more and more limited resources and more and more money, which is worth less and less. You know, it probably doesn't have a good ending. Which brings us to the IRS hmm. and the Inflation Reduction Act, you know, where they're getting a 600% funding increase for 87,000 new agents, etc., 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 that's not all that the Inflation Reduction Act, or even the existing tax code, which is, you know, 90-some thousand pages of nonsense that should be about 100 pages, maybe 50 pages, probably. Do you know what that is costing and what the cost and the additional cost, including the Inflation Reduction Act? You know what that's costing you? Never mind the tax dollars out of pocket for this expansion of the IRS, etc. Okay, but the White House Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs... They have now estimated that Americans will spend more than $6.5 billion, that's billion with a B, hours complying with the IRS tax filing and reporting requirements in the year 2022. <laughs> that's great, isn't it? This is equal, by the way, to 3.1 million full-time workers doing nothing but tax return paperwork for a year. That's roughly equal, to put this in context for you, to the combined populations of Philadelphia and San Antonio. 
and 39 times more than the workforce at the IRS. And if you put this in dollar terms, those 6.5 billion hours needed to comply with the tax code comes to about $313 billion each year in lost productivity. That means something you could be doing that's productive rather than doing government paperwork. And that equals 1.4% of the United States gross domestic product. Think about that. And it's 23 times larger than the IRS's annual budget, even with the nonsense in the Inflation Reduction Act. And the burden, folks, this is on individual taxpayers, but that includes small businesses, is $74 billion annually in compliance. Over $200 billion is borne by larger businesses. And let me ask you a question. Hmm, tell me what the answer to this question is. Who do you think is really paying the costs of larger businesses trying to comply with the tax code? Do you think it's the larger businesses, folks? Or do you think that just maybe it's you and me when we buy their products? Think inflation. And then we have an amazing story this goes back to the woke policies, you know, the pronouns, etc., and the sex changes and blah, blah, blah. So there was this teacher in Kansas, of all places. She was suspended for not using a student's preferred name and pronouns. Yeah, I'm not making this up. Her name is Pamela Ricard. She taught math at the Fort Riley Middle School. She retired in May after she was suspended for three days by the school in April 2021 and given a formal written reprimand for, quote, addressing a biologically female student by the student's legal and enrolled last name. I mean, (laughs) I'm not making this up, unfortunately. The Alliance Defending Freedom went to her rescue, and they sued the school board, who, by the way, rejected this poor teacher's appeal of the suspension unanimously in just a few minutes of deliberation. And this all came about because a school counselor was complained to by the student. And the student insisted that, number one, her parents not be told she was transitioning to a male. This is a high school, folks. And number two, that she be called by her new first name and the proper gender pronouns, you know. Does this tell you, by the way, parents and grandparents, how attentive you have to be to your child or your grandchild, your school system and the curriculum and the policies of your school board, and to tell you how important it is that you have the right minds on your school board, you you bet it does. In a related story, so there's 39 hospitals in the United States right now who, for months, in fact, in some cases up to a year, have not been getting their Medicare reimbursements. And gee, who does that affect? Oh, that's right, the lower-income folks and the elderly folks in those communities. And you know why they're not getting them? Because they dare they dared to tell the CDC, who now has admits that it was wrong, to take its protocol, including the provision for remdesivir, which studies have shown kills 53% of the people it's administered to, and which is not used in any place but the United States of America, that was required protocol for hospitals, and hospitals who didn't use it, and hospitals who used instead the proven anti-COVID techniques of zinc, and vitamin C, and, you know, basic natural minerals and vitamins. All these hospitals are now out in the cold. For instance, the United Memorial Medical Center in Texas was told on January 11, 2022, by the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services that they were no longer going to reimburse this hospital for caring for poorer and older people through Medicare or Medicaid because 
the hospital said, screw you, to their guidelines. And of course, all this reporting, all this monitoring, is part of the advent of technology in the fourth industrial revolution. And by the way, that remdesivir study, folks, that was in the New England Journal of Medicine just a few months ago. Just so you know, this isn't from, you know, that conspiratorial bunch of internationally known doctors that have been saying it since inception. And then we have this amazing paradox in California. California is amazing to begin with. Gavin Newsom, gruesome Newsom, he is now issued with the help of his Marxist legislature, a ban on the sale of gas-run cars in the state of California. Hmm. The ban will be fully in effect, folks, by 2035. Okay, you will not be able to sell, if you happen to be a car company, gas-powered, fossil-fuel-powered vehicles in the state of California on a rapidly declining basis. By 2026, just four years from now, right? Actually, three years. We're at the end of 2022. This new rule requires that 35% of new cars produce no zero emissions. That, of course, doesn't count, you know, all the environmental degradation to build batteries and all that kind of stuff, or the coal and the gas and everything else that's burned to create electricity to power these EV cars. By 2030, uh, according to Gavin Newsom, the requirement uh, rises to 68% of all vehicles on California highways. And of course, the Natural Resources Defense Council and the California Air Resources Board, funded by Red China under the table and Russia under the table, this is a quote. California is once again leading the way by establishing common sense standards. Oh, yeah, you bet. That will transition to sales of all zero polluting cars and light duty trucks in the state. Hmm. This other guy, Leanne Randolph, for the California Air Resources Board, he had a great quote, too. Quote, this is a historic moment for California. You bet it is, folks. For our partner states and for the world, hmm, you know, like India and China, who don't have to do anything whatsoever, as we set forth this path toward a zero emission future. Hmm. Terrific. And what do you want to bet that this is going to translate to Illinois and New York and a couple of, of the other woke states like Massachusetts and Connecticut? You know, all the more reason to move out of blue states and to red states, as long as you think red. And at the same time, this is like three days after, you can't make this stuff up, Three days after this is announced and proudly toted by China-funded environmental groups and Gavin Newsom, their communist lackey, there's a flex alert in California. It actually warned drivers not to charge their electric cars. I'm not making this up. And it's done by the California Independent System Operator. They kind of manage the state's power grid. Okay, The statewide flex alert runs from 4 o'clock in the afternoon to 9 p.m. in the afternoon. By the way, you're also supposed to set your thermostats at 78 degrees. Don't use your major appliances and turn off all your unnecessary lights, which is a good idea anyway. But during that time period, don't charge those electric, non-emission vehicles, folks. You bet. By the way, this isn't the first time they've done this, folks. They did it back in 2021 in mid-July in that year. Oh, one of the things you folks who are getting some uh, quote-unquote debt relief, you know, <laughs> yeah, right, for student loan forgiveness. And speaking of woke nonsense like this poor teacher and her ridiculous school board in Kansas, yes, it's extended to, I wonder why they're having problems recruiting, the military. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you know that there was going to be this big drag show and gay festival, you know, a pride event uh, at Ramstein Air Base in Germany? 
they recently canceled, by the way, when the, uh, an uproar erupted, including via Senator Marco Rubio. But there was a July 30th event of this type at Joint Base Langley in Virginia. It was called the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Summer Festival. Ha! Just think how shaking in their boots, how fearful this makes the Red Chinese Army. There's no way that they want to go up against woke U.S. soldiers, folks. No way. And then in Canada, you know, you can't make this up. This lunatic went on a stabbing spree just in the last few days. Killed 11 people, wounded a pile of other people. And there was actually two perps, and the Royal Canadian Mounted Police are after them. But, you know, Trudy up there, kind of like Gavin down in California, I think the two are twins, maybe they're related. They both had Fidel as daddy, who knows. Trudy up there took the occasion to say that they're going to now ban the sales and the manufacturing of all handguns in Canada. Because, you know, when you have two guys on an Indian reservation run amok on the reservation and the surrounding community with knives, what you want to do to keep people safe is to take away their handguns and make sure that they don't have any, you know? Think about Joe Biden, what he said about wanting to get rid of all semi-automatic weapons. It's not just quote-unquote assault rifles, which is a misnomer in and of itself. Do you think there's a reason for this, folks? Do you think it ties into the 87,000 IRS agents? Do you think it ties into the beginnings of the debt jubilee? Do you think it'd be, it's tied into the advanced sensors, control, etc., of the 4.0 industrial revolution? I'll let you figure that out. By the way, as we shall say, further evidence of just how off and purposely off the CDC and uh, Dr. Birch, Scarf Lady, and Fraudulent Fauci, etc., that whole cabal was, was in their mandates and their lockdowns and all this nonsense that they've now admitted they knew would never work, you know, that the CDC is now reorganizing itself to make sure it never happens again, all that stuff. The National Center for Education Statistics assessed reading and mathematics scores for nine-year-old students. The results were stunning. The average, I'm quoting, the average scores for age nine-year-old students in 2022 declined five points in reading and seven points in mathematics compared to 2020. This is the largest average score decline in reading since 1990 and the first ever score decline in mathematics. By the way, the study also showed that the people that were hurt most were the poorest people. The people who could not afford the right equipment to have their students learn offline, who could not afford, because of crowded conditions, private spaces for their students during these lockdowns to learn in a secluded environment where you can concentrate. And I think we are out of time. We are always out of time. I didn't even dent the rat-a-tat-tat I had to bring you. But you'll be hearing some of this stuff next week because, unfortunately, though not amusing, it is timeless. So look in the mirror. Think about what we've talked about today. The Industrial Revolution 4.0. You will be happy. You will owe nothing. The debt jubilee, which is just gathering steam. How it's all tied in with woke policies and 87,000 IRS agents and the decimation of our military to get their minds right. Think big picture, folks, and look in the mirror and repeat after me and with your families and with conviction. I will muster. I will stand. I will not comply. I will never give in. I will never stop fighting. I will join with those in these United States and around the world who love freedom as I do, and we will 
win. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio. Lots coming at you next week. In the meantime, keep the wind at your back.